Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Just okay? God is good, amen? And happy Mother's Day to all. Maybe just turn down the mic a little bit. The highs are a bit um, peaking. I can hear myself when my lips go like that. Every flower has its thorns. But our choice is to look beyond the weakness and the flaws and see the beauty of what God has made. This morning we have gathered to hear God's word, to worship Him, and to celebrate Mother's Day. I invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. You can follow on your iPhone or Samsung or whatever it is you have if you have an app. We're going to be reading through verses 1 through 7. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. Romans chapter 15, 1 to 7. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and with one voice, You may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Let's pray. Father, we turn now to your holy word. Would you now grant us the grace to receive your truth, the faith to believe it, the character to observe it, the strength to keep it, all in view of your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week as part of our One Another series, we've been looking at different one another's in Scripture. Encourage one another, admonish one another. And this week we're talking about acceptance talking about accepting one another. But in order to kind of properly go at this particular um, message this week, it's important that we kind of take a step back and ask some of the more overarching questions. Like, why should we even accept one another? Why should we do that? Why are we, even broader than that, why are we even here? 
Well, we are here. We have gathered in Jesus' name together this morning and each week throughout the week. We do this because as the church of Christ, we are called, we are commanded, we are purposed and designed to bring glory to God. This is why we are here. This is why we live and move and have our being. This is why before the foundation of the world, before even time began, God had us in His plan and ultimately it was to bring Him glory. He is forever praised. Amen. The Westminster Catechism states, What is the chief aim of man? The chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is our chief aim. This is our purpose of our lives. Now, a lot of you may have some disconnect with that. Because when you wake up in the morning, is, is it you saying, God, may today bring glory to you? Is it, do I need to accomplish some things to achieve the goals that I have set out for myself? Or is it, God... May my life today bring you glory. And whatever it is you bring into my life, whatever situation or circumstance, would it be that the result would be for your glory alone? Even in our passage, the glory of God is mentioned in verse 6. The purpose to all of this is to glorify God. It's to glorify God. That's really the overarching question that we need to ask. Why are we doing these things? Why should we accept one another? It's because our heart is that God would be glorified in and through our lives. But how do we bring God glory? It seems like it could be a nebulous term. What does it mean to glorify God or how do we go about doing that? And from the text and from other texts this morning, I would suggest to you that chiefly the way in which we bring glory to God is when we are united. We glorify God through our unity. See, all of you this morning can uh, sit from where you're sitting and look up at me, but I have the privilege of looking in the other direction and seeing all of your smiling faces, encouraging cheers, amens, and all of that. And I can see what a, a beautiful picture of heaven we have here in Snowden. Diversity. People come in every shape and size from different backgrounds, different culture, nuances in those cultures. And yet together we are all here as one family, and this brings glory to God. You being here this morning in the midst of this people brings glory to God because together with one voice, we praise Him week in and week out. Together with one mind, we encounter the Scriptures. We hear from God's Word. We're admonishing one another. We're teaching one another. We're encouraging one another. And as we endure in those things... As we move forward in those things, we are bringing glory to God. You're dismissed. <laughs> Forgot to let them go.
says in John chapter 17, verse 22, it's part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says this, The glory that you, Father, have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. So why are we here? For the glory of God. What is the chief way in which we do that? It's through our unity that we are bringing glory to God. Now, I, I have to admit, and I'm sure this is obvious, I will say it anyway, but unity is not easy. It's not an easy thing. It's not a natural thing. That's why the church of God is supernatural. That's why the church of God is a miracle. Because if it wasn't for the cross of Christ, there's a high probability that we wouldn't even know each other or be in fellowship with one another, be in relationship to one another. But it's because of what Christ has done to bring an inheritance before God, to unify one people before God. It's a work of Christ. The church is a work of God. It's a miracle of unity. But that doesn't mean that it comes easily. We're all different. We have different values. I could ask one person today, what's the most important uh, value you have in your life? And you might say, well, for me, uh, my family is the most important. It's ahead of my career. It's ahead of anything else in my life. My family is number one. And I might turn to the person beside you and say, what is, what's your number one value in your life? And they might say, you know what? Family is number one for me too. But what they mean by that is very different. And even in the values we have, we could say that in principle they're the same, but the truth is, if we were to ask further questions, we discover that how we go about those values can even be different. We're all different. But unity doesn't require uniformity. What does that mean? It just means we don't all have to be the same to be united. But in accepting one another, we can be diverse, we can accept each other's differences, and never allow those differences to be a cause for division in God's house. Paul, here in the book of Romans, was dealing with essentially two groups of people. The Gentiles and the Jewish believers. That's one of the reasons why the book of Romans was written. You see, the church in Rome was established and it had these Jewish believers in Rome initially. But what happened was is this Roman emperor came into, came into power and he kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. Sent them down to northern Africa and different places, and basically dispersed them. They had, it was an edict, a Roman edict, that forced them all to leave. And what happened was, the church didn't die. The church continued, but it continued with all of the Gentile believers. So the Gentile believers were doing things a little bit differently in church. And they basically orchestrated and administered the church in Rome for a certain season. Uh, after a certain while, that edict had passed and the Jews were allowed to return. So they come back to their church and everything's different. And here Paul is writing his letter to the book of Romans and he's saying be of one mind. You've got different things that you're worried about 
You've got different set of values than each other. But God has done a miraculous work making one body out of the two nations. That's why whether you're a Jew and you've received the law, by, no one will, will be considered righteous by keeping the law. And if you've been born outside of the law and you're not a Jew, don't worry, God will have mercy on you as well. So whether we are Jew or Greek, we are all under sin so that we can all be brought before the grace of God. You see, the letter of the Romans was to bring unity to the church because through that unity, through accepting one another, ultimately God would get the glory. How does Paul talk about the differences? Well, he talks about certain people being strong in faith and certain people being weak in faith. Certain people, he says, eat certain things. Certain people refrain from certain things. But we should never allow things like eating or special days that we celebrate. In fact, Paul says, whether we live or die, we are all under Christ. Why? Because Christ also lived, he also died, and he also lived again. Which means he's Lord over the living and the dead. Praise be to his name. Christ is Lord over all, over all of us despite our differences, despite our nuances, despite the change in values that we we may have, we are called to minister Christ to one another. And we do that by being united. We do that by accepting one another. Amen. In verse 3 of our passage, Paul tells them, For even Christ did not please himself. And in verse 7, Accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. We are only united as far as we accept one another. The the, the first thing we need to do in order to do this work of, of unity is accept one another. Accept one another. This also is difficult. Verse 6 again says, So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about accepting one another, what it actually means. And unity in this sense is not about being right or wrong. You might say, I'm okay with being united. I'm okay with accepting someone so long as we both know who is right here. This is not in keeping with the ministry of Christ. This life is not about you being right. Life is not about your personal plan for fulfillment. This life is about glorifying God. And the quicker we understand that, the easier time we are going to have. Because we won't get caught up wondering why this or that is happening that somehow ruins our personal plans. It's about His plan, brothers and sisters. And sometimes His, his plans includes discipline. In fact, it often does. You know, I, I know we know this already. We, we, we already know that it's about glorifying God. We already know that it's not about what we want. It's about God's plan for our lives. But to really understand it. Because there's something 
that we face every day when we go out into the world, when we bombarded through the media and advertising that just promotes this idea that life is supposed to somehow be about us being king of our own lives, king or queen, and that we're supposed to just have a great time our whole life. And that's not what the scripture presents to us. Life is not just about us always being happy. And some of you mothers know exactly what I'm talking about. Because from the moment that baby comes into the world, it's not about us anymore. But we're only united as far as we accept one another. I, I was ministering to a couple uh, this week, and they had, a, they had a crisis moment where they had a fight. And when I listened to both sides of the issue, I came to this understanding that it wasn't because one of them was right and the other one was wrong. It was because both of them were right, just in different ways. The husband was, what he was saying in principle and what he was sharing and and everything, yes, he's right. But also from the wife's side of things, when I listened to what she was feeling and, and, and her perspective of it, she was also right. And I know that a lot of our conflicts come because one person's right and the other person's wrong. But sometimes it's possible that we're both right. And that causes conflict because we're seeing it from different perspectives. And that's where mutual submission comes in. That's where we need to honor each other by not enforcing ourselves because we think we are in the right. Sometimes you can be right, but you're really wrong. In chapter 14, a little bit before our passage, in verse 19, it talks about the pursuit of peace. That the way in which we're going to be able to accept each other is not by pursuing a life that promotes us as being the one who is correct, but pursues peace instead. We need perseverance and encouragement in the pursuit of peace. Before all of this, we have to understand that accepting one another is the reason why it's even possible is all by the grace of God. This is a work of God. This is our first understanding that accepting one another is a gift from above. And that He, God, is the one who enables us to endure. He's the one who gives us the strength to persevere, to keep going to be able to encourage, to be able to pursue peace with others. Is that your pursuit? I know we're all different. And sometimes we we appreciate the differences of others, but sometimes we like to exalt how we are different from one another. And sometimes that can be not in keeping with the pursuit of peace. Are we pursuing different avenues that lead to division. What does it mean to persevere? Well, the definition is steady persistence in a course of action, a purpose, a state, especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. Perseverance is really endurance. 
And when we talk about glorifying God, and in order to glorify God, we need to be united. And in order to be united, we need to accept one another. And in order to accept one another, we need to persevere. It really means we need God's grace to endure. That means when we face things that it's difficult for us to accept with one another, we make the choice to endure. We ask God for the strength to say that it's not about me being right here. It's not about me pointing out my perspective, but it's about asking God for the grace to persevere. Second thing that Paul mentions in this passage is not just perseverance, but may the God who grants perseverance also give us encouragement. And I love the word encouragement because it really means to inspire others with courage, spirit, and confidence. The opposite, obviously, would be to discourage, to dampen, demoralize, and dismay. And all of these things can happen with the words we say. When we talk about accepting one another, we persevere. That's what we do. But we also encourage. We help people to have confidence in the steps they're taking. When they take a decision or a certain path, we affirm them. God be with you. God strengthen you. You know, a word of encouragement means so much. It means so much. You know, when I was um, a newer Christian, I, I didn't have a handle on, on this. I, I still don't in a lot of ways. But I was talking with my sister-in-law. And, uh, you know, the Lord radically saved me. And uh, when, I, when I first gave my heart to the Lord, He completely changed my entire life. And I became very black and white. I had very little grace with people. If it was wrong, I'd tell you, hey, this is wrong. Right, right up to you. No, you know, I would tell people on the street and talk, talk to them very, uh, you know, just very bluntly and didn't uh, use a lot of tact. And I was having this conversation with uh, my sister-in-law and she was telling me about how she was going to go see this movie. And... Um, I really just, I kind of just reacted to what she was telling me. I think she was going to go see Shrek 2 or something like that. And she was so excited. And I, I think I'd seen part of the first one. And that movie was so full of innuendo and sexual references. And I was, for, for a new Christian, for someone who was really touched by the power of God, it was, it was, it was, it was appalling to me about how much... You know, Shrek was, you know, and all the characters in Shrek and all the references they were making. So I pointed this out to her. And I said, no, a good Christian can't go see that movie. You know? Later the Lord told me about this passage. It's that don't cause other people to fall. If they stand before me, if they continue, and it's not something that is sinful then I shouldn't be there to judge another person. They stand or fall before God. I may personally disagree with it. I may personally not like it. But I'm bringing questioning and I'm causing that person to doubt the sincerity of their faith over a movie. And the Lord, the Lord corrected me on that. 
Lord corrected me on that. If someone stands, God is able to make them stand. That's what the passage says. So don't, by your eating, cause your brother to fall. Now, if we know that what we're doing in the sight of others who have weaker consciences, it says in the scriptures, then we should refrain from doing that, even if we have no issue from it. Because by doing so, we're flaunting our freedom, but in such a way that it causes another to fall. We need to accept the differences of others, the strengths and weaknesses. And the initial verse in this passage says that those who are strong in faith actually have a responsibility here. It is the strong in faith that are to bear with the weaknesses of the others. It's our responsibility. What happens when we persevere and we encourage? This leads to harmony. Being in one accord. Harmony is expressed in one voice, one expression, one song. What this means is that the work of accepting one another ultimately brings glory to God. The thing about a harmony is so beautiful. We talk about it musically because it's multiple parts, multiple voices, each singing their part, each individually, yet they are together, yet they are saying one thing. And we hear that resonance and we say that it's beautiful. How beautiful it is, though our lives are different, though we each have our own expression of what God has called us, shaped us to do and to be, that when we work together, when we accept one another, how beautiful it is before God. How much glory God gets from us accepting each other. We accept one another as Jesus did. This is what the scripture says. Well, the question is, how did Jesus accept us? And the long and short of it is unconditionally. Jesus has accepted you unconditionally. It says that he took our insults, he took our reproach as his own. He accepted all that we are, all of our faults, all of our guilt, all of our sins, all of our shame, and took it all upon himself when he took it on the cross. Think about this. It's asking us to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Christ himself did not point out the fact that he was right. He had every right to do so. He was the only one who was without sin. He was the only one who was perfect. He had every prerogative, and yet it says in the Word of God that he laid aside his rights. He laid aside his divine prerogative in order for what? In order that he could accept us. We are called to accept each other as Christ has accepted us. Which means we also minister Christ to one another when we lay down our rights. When we lay down what is rightfully ours, when we lay down us being right for the sake of our brothers and sisters, that's when we minister the love of Christ to each other. That's what leads to harmony when we persevere and endure with one another, despite our differences, despite the things that would cause us to turn away 
We love each other. We accept one another. And this brings glory to God. Where else do we see a measure of unconditional love? We see it in the hands, in the heart, in the tears of a mother. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back. Before any child is ever enlightened by the light of the sun, before it ever takes its first breath, before any baby cries for the first time, the child is known, the child is loved by its mother. Nothing the child has done has earned this love. J.R. Miller, an American pastor and author, wrote this, The first friend a child has in this world is its mother. It comes here an utter stranger, knowing no one, but it finds love waiting for it. Instantly, the little stranger has a friend, a bosom to nestle in, an arm to encircle it, a hand to minister to its helplessness. Love is born with the child. The mother presses it to her breast, and at once her heart's tendrils twine about it. It is a good while before the child becomes conscious of the wondrous love that is bending over it. Yet all the time, the love is growing in depth and in tenderness. In a thousand ways and by a thousand delicate arts, the mother seeks to waken in her child a response to her own yearning love. At length, the first gleams of an answering affection appear. The child has begun to love. From that hour, the holy friendship grows. The two lives become knit in one. What is he saying? He's saying before the child was even conscious of what was going on, Love is working. When I think about my own mother, she's here today, and it's her birthday. She was born on Mother's Day. Uh, makes it easy. Never forget that. And um, happy birthday, Mom. You know, my mom isn't perfect. She worries a lot. But one thing I do know is that she loves and accepts her kids regardless of who they are today, the mistakes they have made. She has chosen to minister Christ to her kids, to each of us. But let me ask you this. If our earthly mothers loved us imperfectly. What does it mean when we come to know that God has loved us perfectly? I know that Mother's Day is tough, is a tough day for some. And I don't want to minimize that. Some people, some individuals, some ladies, when it comes to Mother's Day is a very hard day of the relationship with their mom. For them being a mother, maybe with their own children, relationships there may be strained. So this is not an easy day. 
I recognize that. What I do want to say is that all of us have a mother and what Christ is calling us to do today as we're closing this service is in our hearts, accept them. Accept our mothers. Some of us have been mothers. We need to accept ourselves. You know, I'm so grateful for my wife. When I think about the love my wife has for me, for my son, for our next child, the only way to tell you about it is to say that I wasn't aware that heaven offered that much in this life. way to think about it is with tears because it's wonderful but I know my wife can be hard on herself because she tries so hard to be that perfect mom maybe you're in the same place today maybe you've made mistakes as a mother may the grace of our Lord Jesus be upon you and in Jesus name would you accept yourself today. We're talking about accepting one another. We need to accept ourselves as well. Every flower has its thorns. But our choice is to look beyond the weakness and the flaws and see the beauty that God has made. Father, as we leave this place, we thank you that you love us perfectly. That despite how our moms have loved us, maybe perfectly, imperfectly, despite how we as mothers have loved our own children, Lord, we know that your grace is greater. That you're the one who grants us the ability to accept one another through perseverance and endurance. Help us to endure and to encourage one another with what we say. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. God bless you.